five, four, three, two, one. Bazinga. Bazinga. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Now Showing podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sam Houston, and I am joined by my co-host, the wonderful Jordan Luke McDonald. Uh, hello, everybody. How's it going? Nice to be back on for a quick time episode after the uh, after the early instalment. Yep, we um, we're recording ooh, what four days apart or something, and. Yep. Um, I'm also going to be recording the end of the week as well for the for the Halloween special, but today we're looking at uh, three films in detail. Um, we're going to be looking at the main film of the week, Borat, subsequent movie film. Uh, we're going to be looking at Pixie, the uh, Irish indie film starring the like of Alec Baldwin, and we're going to be looking at the number one film on Netflix currently, Rebecca. Um, a, a remake of the 1940 Alfred Hitchcock film uh, starring Arnie Hammer and Lily James. Um, me uh, and Jordan both saw one. Jordan saw Pixie, I saw Rebecca, uh, but we both saw Borat 2. Sorry, Borat subsequent movie film. <laughs> and um, yeah, so how are you doing today, JL? Very nice. Accepting applications for a new code. <laughs> I'm doing good, how are you? Well, I'm doing alright, but since in the very short period between us uh, recording last episode and this episode, um, a revelation has happened uh, in my life. I received an email on Friday morning that um, the I'm, only go, I'm one of the only people that goes to in-person lectures still. Um, it seems like every university have moved to online only, but I still do in-person lectures. Turns out someone on Tuesday in my lecture had uh, has been tested positive for corona so i am currently part of a two-week isolation which is hence hence why i have not watched pixie uh, and we're doing two films instead uh, to make up for for me not seeing it um, because I, i'm in a two-week isolation which is uh, pretty shit uh, pretty damn boring i'm like what, five or six days in i finish on the november the fourth but um yeah it's uh, it's it's pretty boring I mean, I've not uh, had to self-isolate or anything, but I, I don't know. I feel like at this point, I feel like I must have had it at some point, and it's not known. I don't know. It just, it just seems like there's so many people who've got it, and so many people who don't know they've got it that I probably have had it. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I've been lucky, but I, I just feel like at this point, you know, quite a few people who haven't like had a test or whatever, or haven't had symptoms, just have had it and not known. I mean, I'm certain. I mean, like, you can't be certain, but I've been, I haven't seen anyone since Tuesday and I've not had any symptoms uh, at all. So I'm certain I don't have it. Yeah. Uh, I'm also, I guess, kind of semi-lucky that I was also in the same lecture with uh, two other people who were in my flat, we were flat five. Uh, so three of us are, are self-isolating, the other two have gone home. So like, we can walk around the flat and talk and stuff. Mm. None of us have had symptoms at all. So I'm pretty sure I haven't got it, but you know, that's just the shit we have to deal with. So... That means I've got to sit in my bedroom for two weeks and, um, and maybe watch some films and uh, maybe cry into my assignments that I need to, to do. But yeah, so that that, that kind of uh, a bit of a, a bit of what was going on with me, a bit of an explanation for why I haven't watched Pixie this week, uh, which I was really looking forward to. I think you know, judging off, I, I can't say this, but I think I probably was more excited for Pixie than you were. I've been I've been really hyped up for this one for a few weeks. Yeah, I was going to actually say this on when we get to the actual main part of the review and stuff. But what we'll just say for, right from the get go is. I feel like this is definitely a film that you would have enjoyed. Um, yeah, just for sure, one of those films yeah. I think were. It'd be a bit. It's a shame if you're not going to get to see it in the cinema. Hopefully, it's still showing 
somewhat uh, by the time you've come out of self-isolation. Because, like with Kajili now as well, I feel like um, you definitely enjoyed that more than I did. Yeah, I think there's um, something that the, the kind of... I don't know about Pixie because I haven't seen it, but that kind of artsy indie vibe that has... Um, you know that 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 baby teeth and Gajillion they both shared. You know this list obviously didn't look as artsy, but certainly it was indie and had mm-hmm. a lot of um of of emotion and, and uh, a lot of you know the the creator's soul in it. it appealed from the thing it was a. Uh, but you know again, I'm just just going off a trailer and, and how can we have a trailer? But we we'll get around to it. We we'll get around to it. Yeah, I was gonna go watch rewatch Gajillion now actually like this week, and then turns out that they aren't showing it anymore. I don't think at my cinema, so it's a bit of a shame. Uh, hopefully yeah. it will. I mean, hopefully it gives me the impetus to go rewatch uh, St. Maud because that's something else I want to definitely rewatch at some point and I don't want to end up being in the same, same situation where I miss out on uh, seeing it again because I didn't go get on to watching it. So I'll probably say see, uh, St. Maud. Obviously with Halloween going up, it might be the, the perfect time to rewatch it as well. Not going to rewatch Baby Teeth um, was is one of my regrets um, of, of the, the summer because... I think there was a few times where early on, just after I saw it, I thought, oh, I'll go watch it. I thought, oh, nah, I'll be fine. I'll watch it another week. And then the only days that it was on, I happened to be busy. It went out of um, Ely Cinema, where, where I was living during uh, lockdown, way earlier than it went out of loads of London cinemas where I normally live. I just never got to see it, and I was kind of gutted. So I feel like I'm going to have the same thing with the Cajillion as well, because I really wanted to rewatch that. I thought the film would have been very good on the second watch, but I couldn't see it. But uh, instead, I got to see... Um, whatever Rebecca was. Okay, we'll get to that <laughs> in a bit. Uh, but um, we'll start off um, with what we've been watching. So every week we look at what we've been watching since the last episode. And uh, my section, I'm going to start off uh, because my section might as well just end there. Uh, we only recorded a few, few days ago and um, I haven't watched anything that we're not reviewing. I haven't watched any films other than Borat or... Um, Rebecca, uh, I have been watching television. I have been very much um, binge watching uh, Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares USA for wow. the whole last four days. Is that like two AM uh, in the morning on some random B channel? It's it's so good. It's unbelievably high quality. I just it came up on my YouTube recommended, and I was just like, "This is such easy watching." And it, I used to like love you know Catfish. I mm-hmm. love that shit. Um, have you seen the film like that it was based off I've not seen it no but... I haven't I do need to watch that it's about the, the bloke that, that is, hosts it yeah, it? yeah. he gets catfished yeah and um, oh man Gordon Rose Kitchen Nightmares USA it's something special mate I've been watching them all on all four. <laughs> oh, Amy's Baking Company eh fucking hell they are mental but, um, it's definitely one of those yeah. things where you 2am you get back from the nightclub at uni and you just put on some random channel there's nothing else on other than like bbc world news or whatever and then you just come to it and it's like gordon ramsay's night kitchen nightmares it is tv it is a television it is a program it it feels i almost feel guilty mentioning it on like a film podcast where we normally review like actual films and tv shows like i should be talking about like oh i watched ozark or some shit but no no no, gordon ramsay's kitchen nightmares but without further ado instead of talking about gordon ramsay's kitchen nightmares which is again so fucking good uh, we'll talk about what you've been watching because uh, I believe you've seen quite a few films in this like very short period, haven't you? Yeah, so uh, we're recording today on the Monday, the 26th of October, and yesterday, on Sunday, I did a four-film back-to-back session. That uh, is dedication. It was pretty much dedication as well. And uh, the thing was, is I uh, the first film was at 12. I set my alarm for like, I don't know, half 10 or something. 
and then I uh, I got up and then I thought to sleep and I was like I woke up and it's like I don't know what time it was I had a quick like wash or whatever and then Jesus it was like a dash it wasn't like a dash dash like I got there plenty of time but you know that feeling when you've got plenty of time but you still feel like you need to rush so I got a dash to the cinema got got four films in um yeah it was so it's pretty pretty nice uh, nice day at the cinema uh, I think the people at the cinema are much getting sick of me now seeing my face every <laughs> probably every day well most days now um but yeah, yeah four times in a row they must have thought you just like one bought one ticket and was just like like lounging about <laughs> and getting free into free films that's where some people definitely did that because when i was watching one of the films on sunday uh, two or three people walked in with like 20 minutes to go and i was like what on earth are you doing like you're clearly not paid for this film like how have you got in you must have just walked from another film or something but then also that i also say that it's not as I don't I'm not sure which I feel worse for the people who came into Honest Thief with 20 minutes to go, uh, or the three guys, the three teenage guys who turned up at uh, about 20 past eight uh, to watch Honest Thief, and the film started at 20 past six, and I just left Yikes. because it had finished. I'm assuming they 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 saw 18:20 on the ticket and yeah. just thought 8:20. But um, yeah, that was that was not a, that was a, not been a fun experience for them. I, I want to go. Uh, I'm gonna just go right on that and, and fuck up your your flow and, and change the order of films you watched. But because I'm just gonna go straight into it because it's the one that I've been most curious about the films you saw, um, which was uh, Honest Thief, which I, I thought looked awful uh, personally from like the trailers and stuff. I, I just thought like, oh, this is gonna be such a, like a, a bomb. But I also thought that was unhinged, and apparently that was not that bad. But um, what was how was Honest Thief? Was it was it as bad as I thought it would be? Or was it like a surprisingly good? It was kind of one of those. I knew it was gonna not be great, but I knew it was probably gonna be a decent enough popcorn film. Um, yeah, I came out of it kind of thinking because I I haven't seen so from Liam Neeson films. Like the the main you know the main ones that like you know ignoring the cameo or small appearances in like the Dark Knight films or um, you know voice acting roles and stuff. I mean I haven't really seen too many films of him in. I think the the most recent one I've seen with him um, where he has like a kind of a main role is Widows, uh, Steve McQueen from twenty eighteen, and then I saw Taken Three without having seen any of the other Taken films. So I kind of went to this thinking, well, I know that he's done a bunch of films recently, like The Commuter and Nonstop, and these sort of just run-of-the-mill, very generic action thriller. He's some guy who's got a vengeance against someone for some reason and has to, you know, solve a mystery of who's set him up or who stole his wife or who stole his daughter or who did this to him, who wronged him in some way. So I kind of went in just thinking, okay, it's going to be fairly generic um it actually was i don't know if it was surprising like it wasn't it wasn't anything amazing i think i gave it i think i don't think i've actually logged it on letterboxd yet but i think i went and given it maybe like a three out of five it was kind of just i don't know it was it was interesting like there were some really interesting moments and like for liam neeson you know just what is essentially a, a cash you know a, a payment instead of just taking some money um, yeah, he actually gave, I'd say, a, a pretty decent performance. Um, I, th- I think at this point, it's very self-aware almost. He's kind of had a lot of these very similar roles. 
Uh, I think very. I think maybe just getting to the point now where it's much, very much a self-aware thing. But um, yeah, Liam Neeson and uh, Kate Walsh, who was his love interest in the film, uh, gave actually some pretty good performances. There's some nice emotional beats in there as well, uh, considering it was very much fight scenes and chase scenes and shooting and cho- fight choreography and so on. Uh, also, there was uh, one performance which was particularly uh, surprising, which was... Um, Jai Courtney, uh, he played a character called Adrian Nivens. I won't say too much for, for spoiler's sake, but he plays a, a not so nice guy in that film. And um, yeah, I'd even recognise him uh, in in that role. He was very very good. I haven't actually seen like Suicide Squad or anything like that, so maybe that didn't you know maybe that didn't help in terms of recognising him as as a as an actor. But I think his performance in that as this sort of um, evil. You know, he was kind of very much a generic, generic evil character, but at the same time, he had kind of different strands to it, and and uh, and you know, doing some some interesting things in that film. So it was, yeah, he gave a there was some nice performances in there, so there's some nice emotional moments in and amongst the the fight scenes and whatnot. So um, it wasn't anything spectacular, but I think for a for a popcorn film, something like Unhinged, it's probably better than overall, a bit more um, sensical. Uh, whereas unhinged was a was a bit bizarre in terms of its plot you know it kind of took took a bizarre idea and ran with it i think honest thief was a bit more if i don't know if it's the right word to use but probably a bit more real um in terms of like what actually happens so you know it, i mean if you want to if you want to go back to the cinema um you know hopefully you stay open but if if you know if you want to go back to the cinema and watch something um, before they could potentially end up closing, because I know I know a few countries have, uh, I think Italy have, have started to close their cinemas again, so it, it could potentially be on the cards. So if you want to get if you want to get a film in, uh, that's one that I would recommend. Just as if you're just kind of more casual film uh, viewer, then uh, that's that's one to give a go. I'd say um, you know you kind of know what you're getting with it, but um, some nice surprises in there as well. So I would uh, recommend that if you you know want a popcorn film. This is a a slight. Um tangent or slightly unrelated but that just reminds me of something I can't remember if I said it last week or I was going to say it Manchester tier 3 lockdown right mm-hmm. now um, it was all that stuff between the government and um, and, and your leaders yeah. and stuff but then now you're in tier 3 lockdown I don't understand if we're in tier 3 lockdown why the cinemas are even open in the first place I mean as much as I'd like the cinemas to be open I hope yeah. the cinemas stay open in London Um for a personal point of view, I can't really see the motivation. If you've got to close all, all gyms and you can't get the pubs without people that you're thinking, why are, you, why are they letting people sit in a in a room with breathing the same air in? And I don't know, it seems like a yeah, strange I, decision. I guess it's just... They go, cinema's closed. I guess it's just because they know the situation with like the, um, like the arts and stuff at the moment. I feel like... I, f- I don't know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a hard one because I've seen people on social media saying... How can they not have spectators in sports venues, in an outdoor venue, but they can have you know people in uh, indoor venues? I think there was a big debate as well because they there was talk of potentially well they have been showing uh, Premier League games in some of the cinemas, and uh, people saying you know how can you not how can you have because they was they were saying that they they would allow I think it was up to a hundred or maybe more than a hundred people if they like if there was that many tickets sold for a for a Premier League fixture. Um, how can you allow that many people in a in an indoor venue, but not allow you know socially distant outdoor spectators in a stadium? So that's a, yeah, that's an interesting yeah, that, discussion uh, to be had. But I think 
I don't know with the tier three why, why football can't be back. I personally just don't really get the the reasoning behind. Like, say, like, I live next to Wembley. It's like ninety thousand seat stadium, ninety five thousand seat stadium. You can fit ten thousand people there. Social distance easy, but yeah. you know, I guess it's slightly unrelated to the point of the film podcast. But it just seems like a strange decision for me. Yeah, a lot of these these lockdown regulations seem to be like very strict on some things and not strict on another. I just don't see why I think uh, outdoor football matches with enough space between everyone is probably a, a lot safer than you think like the refrigerated air that's going around in the cinema. And let's be honest, yeah. no one actually wears their mask in the cinema. No, no. Well, th- that was another thing as well that confused me as well. This is, I know we're going off on a tangent here, but when I first started going back to the cinema after lockdown and the cinemas reopened, um, I remember there's a bit of discussion on the podcast actually at one point about how Odin had a mask optional policy. And then I think a week or two after we discussed that, uh, the government came in and said, okay, cinemas have to enforce, uh, you know, face coverings and so on. And obviously they were still doing the social distancing and cleaning and, and whatnot. But I think um, it was weird because I, I went to the cinema for the first time and they said, you know, you have to wear a mask for the film and so on. And I remember that was a really annoying, but obviously, you know, given the circumstances is uh, understandable and, and perfectly justified. And then it came to the second or third film I went to after lockdown, and the people in cinema said, uh, "You can." This was when they said, "You have to wear a face mask unless you're eating or drinking." At which point, the staff in the cinema—I'm not sure whether this is official policy or not—but the staff in the cinema said, "Keep your mask on till you get to your seat, and then you can then you're allowed to take it off." So that was like actually said by a staff member. I'm not sure whether that was um, like what the government had said to the cinema, or whether the cinema had actually specified that to staff members. Um, but I, I've noticed that I don't, I, from what I gather is that the masks, um, aren't needed because obviously you can be eating and drinking in the cinema and it is socially distanced. So I don't know what the actual government line on that is, but from what I've gathered is that, uh, you know, you don't need to wait throughout the, throughout the showing, which I haven't actually been doing because there's been generally like two people in the cinema typically anyway. So it's not been too much of an issue, um, but yeah, maybe maybe that's why people aren't going because it's not being enforced. I'm not, I'm not too sure, but um, yeah. Man, I got ah uh, uh, just saying that last sentence. I was like uh, the memory of August and September being those empty cinemas in in Ely where I live back home, where it's like there's like you know twenty five thousand people live there. It's not like London where it's like packed. Being as like watching Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings films with just my mates, empty cinema was so sick. Oh, bring me back. That look, this look, this two week lockdown is getting me, getting me awfully lonely. <laughs> okay, so before we move off the news, is there any other films that you've watched this week that you want to talk about? Uh, yeah. So there's a few actually that I want to talk about. I know we're running, uh, we've been waffling on about COVID and and whatnot. So mm-hmm. I'll keep it brief. Um, there's a couple of films I want to mention. So I'll mention, I'll just list the films I, I saw and then I'll start talking about some. If there's anything specifically you want me to talk about, like if you're interested in any of them, then let me know. Sure. Um, sure. So films I've seen since we last recorded in cinema, uh, new films. I'll just talk about the new films I've seen. Because I films I saw Back to the Future and Inside Out, which are re-watches, uh, re-showings, so I won't talk about those. Um, but new films I saw were All My Life, um, a romantic comedy film, uh, Max Winslow and the House of Secrets, uh, I also saw Hurricane and the Burnt Orange, oh, Her- the Burnt Orange Heresy, and Honest Thief, which I talked about. Okay, um, you said there's any of those that uh, I want to talk to you about, then I'll, I'll mm-hmm. ask you, and I'll ask you about Hurricane because I did not know you saw that. Um, yeah. 
So I'm obviously um, a big MMA fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've got an MMA podcast which has been slightly inactive, but if you're interested in MMA, um, we might be bringing it back. Gatekeepers MMA, find out Spotify. Little plug there. Um, and you are not uh, an MMA fan, um, so I, I have been interested in film for a while, and, uh, and I knew it was coming out. I saw that Jorge Masvidal was going to be in it. Um, what do you think of the film? Wait, you saw that he was going to be in it? Jorge Masvidal. Okay, right. So is he actually an MMA fighter? Like yeah, yeah, he's he, yeah, yeah, he, he, he was okay. the um, I figured... the baddest motherfucker, um, okay. belt holder. Yeah, I figured as much because um, of the cast, he was one of the only people who'd been in any other films at all. Uh, which, mm-hmm. and I think it was a documentary. I'm not sure if it's a documentary. Maybe it's not actually. It's Shark Fights Thirteen. Or maybe that's just like. Yeah, Shark Fights Thirteen would just have been an MMA. Event. Oh, it's okay. So it's an actual event, okay? Because. Um, he was like he was the kind of final fight. He was like the thing that was like the big event. The kind Apollo of thing. Creed. It wasn't like so based on what you described because I haven't seen any of the Rocky films. I was going to watch it today, but I didn't get around to seeing it. Um, the first Rocky was a kind of reshowing at my cinema. But from what you described, Rocky is that they have these big sort of event pieces where they'll have like they'll build up to a big fight and then there's like the big finale. You know, they have a fight with yeah. those big yeah. big box or whatever. Um, it wasn't kind of that level because it was kind of an unexpected thing in the film for that to happen. It was kind of not it was like a big surprise or shock for like the viewer or anything, but it wasn't like a planned event. It kind of just happened because someone dropped out. Um, but I figured that he would have been some. I I kind of just got a feeling that he was an actual MMA, MMA fighter because um, just of the way that like they sort of built up the the final thing they were like oh this guy um he played like a character in the thing he wasn't playing himself but uh yeah he it was kind of the way they built it up i kind of figured that he was uh, someone involved in in the sport but yeah sure. uh, just in terms of the actual film uh, i'll just talk about it since you were interested in it as an mma fan so what i will say is considering that i had not heard of this film at all until i saw it listed on odeon listings and um it's a first-time director. The director is also the writer uh, and act, the main actor, and involved as like a producer and basically involved in everything. I'd get, I guess. Um, it was a very pleasant surprise. I kind of had seen reviews going into it, thinking, uh, you know, it's going to be this indie film that isn't like very good, or it's kind of going to be a bit just sort of a middle of the road, average indie film. Mm-hmm. Um, not I know I kind of went in hoping that it was going to be good, but not expecting too much. Uh, not just not not for any particular reason, just based on reviews really. Um, and I was actually very surprised. I came out thinking, you know, I want to see if this guy does does anything else. I'm not sure whether the guy the uh, so the guy director and that and the lead actor and so on is called uh, Cassius Corrigan. I don't know whether he is an MMA fighter in real life or not. Um, um, well, I've not heard of him so. I don't but, yeah. think he's a, like a high level professional. I think, yeah, like, he, yeah. It might but be that, like an amateur maybe, or something. Yeah, maybe because he does play like an amateur, uh, like an up, up and coming uh, amateur in the film. I think the film itself. I'll just talk briefly about it, but I think the cinematography uh, was very, very impressive for a film that I'm guessing had a very, very low budget. Um, very unique visual style. Um, it had like sort of rounded edges, and the aspect ratio was very like just unusual um and 
I mean, so obviously the the concept of the film is a is an aspiring MMA fighter uh, from Miami who has uh, multiple dis- multiple personality disorder. I think potentially the actual mental health side of things could have been a bit oversimplified and a, maybe a bit sensationalized at the same time by the film. Um, there's this kind of recurring visual cue where the screen kind of uh, gets this sort of red tinge to it when. Uh, when his sort of alternate personality is like sort of taking control, but um, and I mean, there's obviously been a lot of uh, TV shows and films which have perhaps dealt with the disorder in a bit more nuanced and a bit more uh, true to life way. But I think for a, a directorial debut for a small budget indie film, which I hadn't even heard of until I uh, saw it on the listings, I kind of went in very very open-minded and i was very very surprised a very good film i thought um the acting was very good all around especially for first time a lot of first time actors thought the plot was interesting and gripping the visual style as i mentioned there was this uh, aspect ratio and the, and the rounded edges but also whenever there was sort of fight scenes there was this kind of pulsing of the uh, of the camera it kind of zoomed in and zoomed out like quick really quickly like like pulses when there was punches being thrown and kicks and so on uh, very very unique style i thought um it kind of had this very high intensity energy from a typical sports film but kind of thrown on top of a uh, psychological thriller um film which which was really interesting so yeah i would if you get i, I mean hopefully you get a chance to see it because i think as an mm-hmm. M- mma fan um you'll you'll find it interesting in that regard sure. by itself so yeah um, that was Hurricane. Uh, check it out if, in, if it's in your cinemas. I definitely recommend it. And then I will really quickly, briefly talk about which will I pick? I will pick. Okay, in detail, I will talk about Max Winslow and the House of Secrets. Detail, mate. We're twenty five well, minutes in. Well, no, not not detail. But I mean, like the the more the one I'll actually talk yeah. about. Uh, yeah. Max Winslow and the House of Secrets. So I got no idea why people are giving this like three or four star reviews uh it was probably one of the worst films i've ever seen in the cinema um the writing the acting was pretty poor the messages it was giving out was kind of like don't be yourself like the, the whole point is that they kind of the basic premise is is that there's these five teenagers in a school this rich billionaire guy invites them to his house um to win the mansion and this is AI who's like controlling these games and they have to like solve these puzzles and stuff to, to win points to win the mansion. Um, and this is very strange ending message about like trauma and overcoming trauma with trauma. It was very strange, uh, very just not nice messages uh, that I, I don't know why people are thinking this was a, was a good film, to be honest. Um, give it a watch if you want to see. Uh, some people are saying it's some people are saying it's too bad it's good I think it's just too bad it's very bad and uh, yeah I mean it's basically really Challenge Jogger Factory but um, modern and just bizarre like there's some big name there's, a, there's like a big name guy in here that people are saying they watched the film for I forgot his name uh, is it a kids film? it's like it's kind of I don't know It it, is a, it was a 12A so it was kind of like a family film. It was like a film that kids could or could watch, but parents would also somewhat enjoy. Like, just yeah, 
there's like moments in there which are like funny and stuff like but it was just very strange as i said very much like a challenge chocolate factory modern version but without any of the charm <laughs> and um yeah it was i don't know i mean my letterbox review is is a bit more in detail about why i didn't like it i don't want to give too much away but yeah that um, is uh, at jl um, mcdonald on letterbox yeah yeah very very strange okay and I'm not going to spend too long on the... Uh... Oh, yeah. What was the last film that you saw? Just just tell me what it was. What it was. Oh, so there's, well, there's two other ones that I saw. Uh, just give us the titles. All My Life, uh, a rom-com based on a real-life couple uh, who, when the groom gets diagnosed with uh, with liver cancer, uh, Jessica Roth gives a great performance and uh, carries the film pretty much on her, on her shoulders, I would say. And the other one was uh, The Burnt Orange Heresy, a new one with Elizabeth Debicki, uh, D- Donald Sutherland, Mick Jagger, and I've forgotten the other guy's name. It's a pretty impressive cast. Yeah, it was It was, um, It was. was funny, actually, because in that film, Elizabeth Debicki is playing uh, an American. So obviously in tennis, she played a British person, but she's Australian. In this, she plays an American who also falls in love with someone involved with art, also goes to Italy, also gets on a boat, um, it, it was like it was like I was watching. I was like, "Is this gonna be like a? T- it's like tenor? Is like I was expecting like Tenet yeah. Bronner to come out and be like." Do people not. really don't like Tenet. I'm I was talking to I'm loads sad. of people this week, and everybody seems to hate Tenet. Uh, maybe it's that I've been listening to 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 you so much that I thought that it was like a widely appreciated film. But like everyone I was talking to was like, "Definitely Nolan's worst." I just didn't like. Oh, I understood it, but the plot I didn't have any feeling for the characters, or the plot was off, or oh, I don't understand it. People just don't like Tenet. Well, I mean, for me, it's Nolan at his most um, sort of unfiltered. Yeah, and I feel like. He was very much given a lot of creative control, whereas obviously with other projects, he's been given control over like Inception and Stella and so on. But I feel like this one was very much, here's a lot of money, do what you want. And uh, obviously it's been 10 years in the in the works. So there was actually, just, just to finish that off, you mentioned about the characters not being likable, whatever. There's a, um, a really interesting video essay on YouTube. Um, and I've forgotten who it's by. I will, I will search for it. Oh, here it's uh, by the Thought Theatre on YouTube, uh, and it's the video is called "Why Tenet Is a Modern Masterpiece." Um, it's only fifty minutes if you want to get some uh, def- a different perspective, perhaps. On I Tenet, will. Uh, I would, I'll definitely. Uh, give I'd recommend it. I've got to say, I this is kind of hypocritical going for someone who does a movie, uh, a film podcast, um, because this is essentially the exact same thing in audio format. But I always am so turned off by those video essay YouTube videos that, like, I feel like Ooh, there's so many people that watch that that get their film opinions off those videos it's like so many people like have all this like they watch a film they kind of enjoy it they watch these videos and because the people are so persuasive they come out with a completely different opinion i've got so many friends that like their their films their opinions on the new uh star wars films like completely mask all the points in like the top three videos on youtube and it's just like i just feel like yeah well i think the the, for me the best youtube video essays are the ones that either take a really well-liked film and sort of reanalyze it and recontextualize it even if it's still a positive review they'll like sort of put a different perspective on things or the ones that kind of take films that are critically mixed or very you know people have very strong opinions about whether it's very good or very bad for example there's a there's a video essay um on the last jedi which really sort of 
made me sort of think about certain aspects of the film and why I didn't like them, perhaps, or whatnot, and uh, maybe change your change your opinions. I mean, certain certain video essays, obviously, YouTube, anyone can make a YouTube essay, whatever. But there's certain channels for me which are very, very strong, like Movies of Mikey on uh, on Film Joy is one of my favourites. Because he just takes films that he loves and just talks about why he loves them. He doesn't he doesn't, he doesn't really try and convince you. I mean, he does, naturally, by what he's saying, but he doesn't, like, outwardly be like, you must like this film because of this. He just kind of talks about why he likes the films. And genuine, <laughs> and generally, as well, they're films that are well-liked anyway. Like, the um, he's done videos on, like, the Cornetto trilogy and uh, Knives Out and so on. So, yeah, it's just really interesting videos breaking down certain, certain aspects of, of the films and why he likes them. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, point. Point taken. And um, I'm sure that there are there are definitely ones out there that I I, uh, I do appreciate. There are ones out that I do like. And, and um, but then I also just feel like you know I do think that there is um, a certain percentage of of um, a film watching population that do uh, just by and large listen to you know the top three search results. But again, yeah. it's hypocritical because we are a a film podcast that uh, gives our opinion on things, and and hopefully we're not too. Um, overwhelmingly persuasive but uh there's not really much news i want to talk about uh this week um following on i did think i'd mention this um because we, we, i tweeted about it on the the official account at now showing film um and um it's kind of following up from some news we we were talking about a few weeks ago with uh Zack snyder's justice league uh and it, it's jared leto's joker is returning for reshoots in um or, or uh of new content in jared Leto. Uh, in Zack Snyder's Justice League, which is going to come out on HBO Max next year, um, and it, the, this isn't particularly the news. The, the the real the news is is that this isn't the first person that we've heard that's coming back. I think uh, the person that plays uh, Deathstroke is also coming back for for reshoots. And um, wasn't Amber kind of, Heard coming back as well? The way I heard, I don't know. If that's yeah. I'm, I might 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 you might be right about that one. Um, and it's it's. Uh, I asked this question on on Twitter uh, on the the official account, which is is that like how close is this actually going to be from the film we would have got if Zack Snyder didn't have to pull out due to personal issues when he was making the original film? Because I I don't think the film was supposedly that far from done when Joss Whedon took over. Um, I'm not sure if the original film would have been that long. I don't know if the original film would have had Jared Leto and and Deathstroke yeah. have so many scenes in it, um, and I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just a different version, I guess. The same way that well, some you... people criticise the final cut version of Blade Runner because it's not the same version mm. that came out. But if that's the way the director thinks it will be best, I guess that's what's going to be the best. I guess um, obviously Justice League as well is that part of that comes down to the fact that they were originally going to be two parts. Oh yeah, of course that completely changed my point. Yeah, that's true. So I mean, I don't know. Interesting whether. You know how much I actually mentioned how close it will resemble what would have happened, you know, in the in the multiverse where <laughs> in the universe where yeah, um, yeah. where of course, Schneider tragic, finished it. Yeah, but I think yeah, try events that they're just able to complete it. But was one thing as well about it is that um, Jared Leto obviously wasn't in um, Birds of Prey. He was talked about, and you mm-hmm. saw the back of his head from from a shot from Suicide Squad. 
but they had very much an opportunity to show the character. It seems like a conscious decision for them not to include him in the Birds of Prey. And I felt like that was very strongly based on, on the reaction that, that came from the character and from the success of Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, um, which is why I think this would only be possible when we're talking about Zack Snyder's almost independent version. Um, this would not have happened in a like DC mandate and the whole thing about... Zack Snyder's Justice League is that it's his version, not DC's version. But I just think it's very interesting for the way that the universe is setting up that he seems to be going against what the the kind of front runners in DC wanted. Yeah, it's interesting as well because obviously in that trailer we got at the um, what was it called the Fandome event. Fandome, yeah, yeah, yeah. The trailer we got for that, the very first shot of the trailer has the Joker card in it. So I mean, it's not completely out of the you know blue yes, that this no. is a. This is happening. It'd just be interesting because, as I, as I mentioned before on the podcast, I've only seen, what, two or three of the DCEU films and I've not seen um, the original Justice League. So I'm just going to wait. As I, as I said before, I'm going to do like a mini marathon of the DC films and yeah, just uh, I was going and to watch say, that. We, that could be a, a little mini series we release before the Snyder Justice League comes out, is that yeah. we, we could go through each one of the. Uh, of the films uh, that required to see Justice League, so not Suicide Squad, but you know the the uh, the ones in the main yeah. continuity. Um, but yeah, uh, also continuing with superhero news, uh, Oscar Isaac got cast as Moon Knight, um, which you know the 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 issue is for me is that um, as someone that's a comic book fan, um, is that it feels like at this point Marvel are saying what characters haven't we used. Yeah, we'll just make a, a TV show about them. Yeah, we'll just make a film about them. Um, and look, Moon Knight is a funny character, and Moon Knight is a is a great. Um, almost, I think he works best as a parody to Batman. I think he doesn't work as be- well as a serious character. I don't think he works as well as a true uh, kind of rival to to, to Batman. Um, and I think he'd work great in a in a show akin to to like of uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow or maybe something like Agents of Shield, but um, as a standalone character, I'm sure they'll be able to work, make it work. MCS it's a TV show, isn't it? They're doing with Moon Knight. Yes, yeah, it's a Disney so, Plus TV show. I'm, I don't know, because when I first heard about Moon Knight as a character, this was before they even confirmed the show. This was like year, probably first or second year of uni. So what, three, two or three years ago? Um. And I remember just hearing about the character, and then just did a quick like Google read through. I just I don't know. I feel like obviously there's obviously the inevitable Batman comparisons, but I feel if maybe the MCU do a slightly maybe slightly amend the character somewhat and kind of give him a bit more of a grounded, serious tone. I don't know whether they're gonna do that, but um, I think Oscar Isaac is someone who's shown kind of potential for some more serious roles, and then obviously uh, a bit of a bit more light light hearted roles in, in other things. So I feel like they could kind of go either way with it. And I'm just happy, to be honest, to see Oscar Isaac in the MCU. I put a tweet out, I think it was last year or the year before, with like a list of actors who I want to see in the MCU, and uh, he was on that list. So I'm happy for him to be uh, yes. to be a part yes. of it. Obviously, he's got the, the Disney connection with Star Wars, so maybe it's a matter of time before they also go with the uh, Daisy Ridley Spider-Woman casting. I'm not too sure if that's going to happen. Uh, Which but I'd love I to would, see. Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. And uh, yeah. yeah, no, I'm... I'm... 
Happy to see Oscar Isaac and MCU. I was just going to say that I did feel the same way uh, about when MCU, where the uh, MCU announced a Cloak and Dagger TV series. And I think I kind of justified because no one talks about the Cloak and Dagger TV series. However, I also felt that way when Jessica Jones first came out or when I first saw Jessica Jones. Like, they're making a character of Jessica Jones, okay, the whole TV series. And then the TV series was by and large pretty well loved. So, well, that's, you know, yeah, that's the thing as well, though, is that because they have this massive platform now, they can give, like, stories and give, like, a spotlight to maybe some lesser known characters as i mentioned like before galaxy. yeah exactly as i mentioned before guardians of galaxy but even like before i uh started watching mcu i probably had no idea who iron man was like you know he like you, you know about thor and hulk and spider-man mm. but characters like even like iron man or um i can't think of anything off the top of my head but Ant-Man. These, these, yeah ant-man and, and just characters that have become massive parts of the MCU. Doctor and Strange, Black Panther. Yeah, Black exactly. So characters, yeah. yeah, just giving a bit more of a, a bit more of a spotlight and a pedestal to some sort of smaller characters. Of course, and we look forward to the all of the uh, Disney Plus TV shows because uh, I'm sure they'll be good. And uh, the next one out will be One Division, which I don't think will be too long from now. I'm excited for that. It looks really yes. good. And let's move on, shall we, to uh, the review section of the podcast. Uh, we are looking at, as I said earlier, at three films. We're looking at Pixie, we're looking at Rebecca, and we're both looking at Borat subsequent movie film. <laughs> so let's kick this off. Um, we're taking 40 minutes, so I guess probably us two not take too long on our reviews of our yeah. subsequent the prior films. But I'll start off with uh, with Pixie, because I think probably more people can see Rebecca, because uh, it was Netflix. Yeah. So I'm going to start off with uh, with Pixie, and um, a film that I am pretty gutted that I didn't get to see. Um, and I'm sure I'll hopefully be out of lockdown, be out of isolation before it's out in cinema, the fourth maybe. Fingers um, crossed for you, because uh, I think you'll really like it. Yes, so tell us why you think I'll like it, and tell us why you liked it or didn't. Okay, so I will read the, first off, I'll read the letterboxed uh, synopsis, just so you can get a rough idea of what, what's going on. So, um, the letterboxed synopsis is, uh, To avenge her mother's death, Pixie masterminds a heist, but must flee across Ireland from gangsters, take on the patriarchy, and choose her own destiny. So, very vague, but also giving away certain um, key elements of the film. Uh, so this is directed, uh, 2020 film, uh, directed by Barnaby Thompson, who you may or may not know as the director of St. Trinian's and uh, the, the the next masterpiece, St. Trinian's 2. Um, so nice. I've not, I haven't seen, I've, I've seen parts of St. Trinian's, but not enough to really remember it. But I do remember it having this kind of very unique comedy, like comedic style um, and very sort of quirky characters. This is very much translated into Pixie. So Pixie, um, starring, as you mentioned before, like Baldwin, and I do wonder how much of the budget, which probably was very low, uh, went on acquiring Alec Baldwin. He isn't in the film for as much as I would have liked. He only appears for a short part of the film. I'd just like to take um, this moment to point out that uh, Alex Baldwin's brother is an absolute freak. Continue. What? He's a strange man. Look okay. at his Twitter sometime. He's a strange man. <laughs> okay, that's that's a that's not an official endorsement. An official opinion held by Billy Baldwin of... is a freak is an official statement of the now showing podcast. <laughs> I don't know who the guy is, so I won't comment. Um. Anyway, carrying on. So this is uh featuring Olivia Cook in the uh, titular role of Pixie, who you may know I have not seen, but you may know from Ready Player One. Uh, I feel my house scene of her in uh, is Thoroughbreds, featuring also my one of my favourite um, actors, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, and that's a great film. 
And uh, so, yeah, so this film was, I went into it, I think I'd seen the trailer, but I'd kind of tried to forget it because I wanted to kind of go in not knowing too much about it and just kind of enjoying it. Um, it's this kind of, so it's indie, it's, um, it's, uh, obviously, as I mentioned before, it's set in Ireland, and I was actually kind of surprised that none of, I, as far as I'm aware from what I remember from Googling after I'd watched it, none of the main cast are actually Irish, so I was very surprised because the accents were actually very impressive and very believable. I didn't actually question any of them not being Irish, so that's a, it's always a good start when, when the accents are spot on. And in terms of the actual film, I think it was... It had this. It opens with uh, this. It says "Once upon a time, once upon a time in the West," and then it has like a pause, and it says "of Ireland," and it was like it just immediately set up this kind of fun, quirky, like comedic tone, but also this kind of Western vibe, which ran throughout the film. There's a really impressive score, uh, which kind of has parallels to the likes of um, "The Good, the Bad, the Ugly," and and so on. Those sort of iconic uh, Western scores. And it has this very clear Western motif throughout. Um, you know, you you got these expansive shots of of cars drifting through, you know, the the uh, the countryside, and you could almost imagine them being like horseback on horseback. And I kind of wish they lent into that a bit more because there were times where I was like, oh, they could have this parallel, or they could use this. Um, sort of cliche or this motif from from western films and it wasn't i kind of felt um towards the end of the film there's this big uh obviously like big final battle almost between between some of the characters i won't, I won't say too much for, for spoiler's sake but i think they the fact that they didn't lean into that western vibe consistently and to it to a certain certain level throughout the film meant that by that kind of final uh, shootout, um, it kind of felt like... I wasn't too sure whether it was supposed to be a parody or a very serious scene, because it was kind of in that middle ground of the film has had this Western motif throughout, but hasn't fully played up to it. And is this supposed to be a parody of those sort of shootout scenes? Is it supposed to be serious is it supposed to be both it wasn't very clear like i would have liked them to to lean more into it because i feel like they kind of restrained themselves a bit um maybe they were a bit worried that audiences wouldn't fully you know get on board with with this kind of modern western take um and maybe you know because obviously we've seen the likes of um no country for all men and so on and whatnot but i feel like this kind of did it more for comedic effect and maybe they felt it wouldn't work for some viewers so they kind of held back uh in in certain ways and that's probably why as i said it felt at the end was well, i was too sure whether it's supposed to be a parody of those films or a straight up translation to to a contemporary setting so it didn't work fully for me uh throughout but i feel like um, what they did do on that on that front was was very interesting, very unique, and the comedy was largely um, funny. But I think some of the some jokes just didn't land at all. So it was kind of a bit hit and miss for me throughout in terms of theme and tone and so on. But I thought the acting, the performances, especially from the main trio, was was very good. Uh, so that's Olivia Cook, Ben Hardy, and Darrell McCormack. 
who I believe that is a I oh know it's not actually it's not a debut but um was still was still a great performance from a, from a relative unknown actor and yeah it was as I said you'll probably um I think you'll very much like it it's this kind of hybrid uh, western comedy Irish indie film uh, with Alec Baldwin mm-hmm. playing a gangster priest <laughs> so uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It looked quite funny from the uh, from the trailers yeah and as I said before the the comedy maybe you'll uh, sort of engage a bit more, a bit more than I did. Some of the jokes didn't land for me at all, um, but I guess that's just mm-hmm. a very subjective thing, and uh, it'll work for some people, it won't work for others. But overall, I'd say it was a it was a solid indie film, which was given the premise, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, I'm not maybe that's why I kind of want them to lean more into the Western vibe because it is this ridiculous premise of you know these gangster priests who they end up. Um, having to run from and then confront it, it kind of felt like they could have definitely lent more into into that that vibe and but yeah Alec Baldwin was uh was pretty was pretty funny and uh it was it was a nice sort of yeah it, it was and, and the end of the film as well was was interesting so um yeah if you, you hopefully you get a chance to watch in cinema and uh, if you haven't seen it already people who are listening uh it's one that I would recommend as a as a sort of small indie film which just give support to and uh, and see what you think, really. So what would you be inclined to rate that out of 10, then? So I gave it on Letterboxd a 3.5 out of 5, so I'd probably be looking for a 7 or pushing... Well, 6.5 to 7, probably... Okay. I think on the balance of things, probably a 7, actually. So yeah, okay. 7 out of 10. Okay. So that's uh, our review of the, uh, of the indie film, the Irish indie western comedy thingy. <laughs> well, then fine as uh, Pixie, and now we are looking at the Netflix number one film of the week: the uh, Arnie Hammer and Lily James-led uh, remake of the nineteen forty classic Rebecca. Uh, did you know, uh, JL, that uh, Rebecca was the only film that Alfred Hitchcock made that won Best Picture? Well, I didn't even know that it was a Hitchcock film until like two or three days ago. So, um, <laughs> no, I did not know that it was Hitchcock's won... only best picture. <laughs> never won director. Never won best director as well. But he won, he won best picture for Rebecca. And um, yeah, so it's, uh, it comes from a, from a, I think, 20s book. Uh, I might be right in saying, let me just check that. Uh, 1938 book. Um, and to give a basic synopsis of the film, I believe there's a Simpsons episode based on it um, because I did. I haven't seen the original. I'm aware of the original. Uh, I've seen clips of. I think it's been on telly, um, but I've never sat down and and, and watched the the full uh, full film, which you know the Laurence Olivier one. But um, oh, she has actually closed the Wikipedia page. Um, but Rebecca, it's about a. Uh, a woman that falls in love with a rich uh, landowner, uh, kind of country house type, in kind of the, the early part of the the century, and um, and when moving into the you know it's like some kind of relatively like low down in in, in the class system, a woman marries this big rich man, and when arriving at his estate, only then realizes that his whole life is obsessed. He's so like the whole culture of, of the estate, all of the, the, the staff and the workers and, and him are still obsessed over the, um, his, de- his dead 
widow, his dead bride, um, Rebecca, who who died a few years before, in um, slightly ju- um, dubious circumstances, um, and it, it's uh, I guess best described as a psychological thriller, but I might describe as shit. Um, I will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, that's it that's it that's it that's the review done <laughs> this um it's got a, a it's fair share of, of uh, negative feedback um from the um, the majority of people that have uh, watched the film i feel and um i i was willing to give it a chance uh, i put it on i thought this kind of looks kind of like my thing you know it's got uh actors that a lot of people don't like army hammer uh, i think he's quite a, a disliked person in the industry however i uh personally have no problem with him uh, i was obviously a, a big fan of him in uh called by your name which is the first one we ever did on national podcast and uh, and lily james is uh always good value for money uh, i was a big fan of her in uh, yesterday which many people did not appreciate as much as i did i didn't, um, I didn't realize he was a disliked figure I, yeah I've, i, I, uh... I I've quite uh, liked. I think I've liked him in every single film I've seen of him in. Yeah, I'm, I quite I quite like the guy, and um, well, and uh, <laughs> I quite like the guy. And uh, but if you look on in, it seems like a lot of people very much hate him. Um, but he, uh, oh, how did I start? He probably um, was the worst individual aspect of an otherwise as a of a generally mediocre film i i was so right. unimpressed by the performance of army hammer um well obviously you're following from um a same part played famously by one of the most best respected actors in history Lawrence olivia who's obviously so uh, well respected that there's an award named after him um to to a very very uh you know disappointing performance of army hammer who um frequently uh, overacts throughout the second uh, half of the film um, doesn't look interested in the first half which is a, a rather uh, obscure juxtaposition um, and I, I really uh, put lets down an otherwise uh, pretty decent performance from Lily James um, I thought that uh, Kristen uh, Scott Thomas uh, uh, who played the character of Mrs. Danvers um, I think Kristen Scott Thomas' performance Miss Danvers was the standout of the film I thought that was um, a performance worthy of a, of a, of a great film uh, Lily James has said it was, was decent nothing special but Army Hammer uh, continually throughout the film uh, lets down the viewer um, he does not know how to emote you always uh, you never feel immersed in the, in the character. It always feels like he's um, pouting to camera for for some money shot rather than actually uh, feeling the, uh, the 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 motive of the uh, actor in any given moment. Uh, I would say the cinematography of the film uh, is one thing that everybody has been praising. I thought it did look uh, stylized. It did look nice at points, but the um, the, the, the key word for me in any review is pacing. I thought the film was paced strangely. It kind of gets stuck in a half space where you know what's happening and the characters don't for so long that it becomes uh, tiring. It's like, oh, God, we know what's going to happen. We know what's happening here. Just get around to actually happening. Stop leaving us, stop fucking blue-balling us. Uh, it, it kind of, there's about a 35-minute period, a space of time, which could be condensed into five minutes where uh, you're just waiting for something to happen. Um his two hours uh, runtime seemed to me like it was four. Uh, it was a real drag. Um, it, it, I've got to say, I, I probably haven't seen a film um, this year that I've been so disappointed by, which is extremely <laughs> negative, oh, I, God. I guess. 
But uh, yeah, no, no. Old Guard had a good premise and, and had some good performances. I, I think, despite the the one strong performance, I don't think um, there was much uh, that would draw me back. I'd much rather rewatch the Old Guard than rewatch uh, this uh, drab pile of crap. Um, <laughs> so, and look, I really, I'm gonna, I can speak more negative about it. It, it comes from a, you know Ben Wheatley, who's who's been. I can't claim to have seen uh, any of his films um, except for uh, some of the Doctor Who episodes that he directed. Um, but he's a genuinely quite highly respected director, and I think um, obviously both of the lead actors have have, have been um, have been highly praised in certain roles, um, especially uh, you know Army Hammer for, for me for, for calling by your name. But it, it, everything about this film, from a technical standpoint, sh- like all the the, the casting um, and, and the cinematography, the director being you know just has generally well respected, pointed to this being uh, an enjoyable film, but. Uh, again, you know, it just misses the mark everywhere. Um, it, the the dialogue is uh, laughable at points. It, it it's every single line is. I, I guess you know uh, the, the the phrase the phrase of the day uh, is exposition, but it's just every single line. They're like, well, I've never I was never truly sad. I was actually I was actually happy in the time. It's just like every <laughs> single emotion. They're just like just think. Well, I felt so bad about this. Oh, I, I just feel awful. Oh, I've never felt bad. And it's just like every single line. They're just stating their emotions plainly and yeah. clearly. Um, cardboard performances uh, from well, a cardboard performance. Uh, I keep <laughs> going on about it. Um, well, you- and yeah, I just uh, really a really really bland film, really dull film that just I. I was just so bored by it. I just, I was just frankly, I was just so bored by it. I, I, I can't remember myself looking so much at how long I had left uh, in, in a film I've seen in quite a time. Yeah, I was just going to say, because you mentioned Lily James having a kind of a, a decent enough performance. I think she's been maybe the, the one that I've seen people saying, you know, Lily James can't save this disaster class. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I don't know whether you would agree that she was, what, well, you already said that she was decent enough, but... Um, just I'm not I'm not seeing the film myself as as you mentioned earlier. So uh, if I do watch it, I'll I'll be keeping an eye out on things like that. But I feel like uh, that's been the general consensus at least that she was uh, definitely elevating the the script and the actual film to to at least somewhat of a of a decent standard. But um, yeah, I've I've not heard very good things about this, and I think because obviously it's hard to to live up to a Hitchcock film when you're remaking them. We've seen that with Psycho and and whatnot, as we mentioned in another episode. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a tough task in itself. But then you then you question, you know, why was this film remade in the first place? You know, what what was the need for it? Um, because I mean, you mentioned about Armie Hammer's uh, poor performance, and because Armie Hammer was in the only other, the only film I've seen from Ben Wheatley is Free Fire, mm-hmm. um, which also has Armie Hammer in. Um, so there's that that connection there. Whether that's you know. His performance and that was actually, I would say, was pretty good. Um, maybe that's why he was he was uh, pulled in with with Ben Wheatley again. But I think with with even with Free Fire, um, this similar things coming through in in what you've said about Rebecca, uh, in terms of, you know, it feels um, like a, like an ensemble cast, but you know, even good performances from from an ensemble can't save a, a poorly written film. Um, which... I, I think one of the big issues as well, which I kind of touched upon vaguely when I said about pacing, is that that um, are you familiar with the basic story of what happens in Rebecca? No, I have no idea. Okay, so I'm not going to give it. I'm not going to tell you. But essentially, 
the film builds up to the the book, uh, the original film, and, and this film all build up to a point that you can see it coming to, and it it's all this kind of it builds, 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 and then something, uh, and then and then something happens, a twist happens, which changes the plot of the film dra- drastically and leads you down a path you did not expect. Um, I guess that is in itself as a mini spoiler. You, you kind of know what to, to expect from the film, I guess. However, the film so doubles down on the first half of the film, it puts two feet down on, on the on the piece of land that, that is inhabited by that early part of the film. And it all builds up to that. It spends so much time on that, that the second half, the post-twist, feels so crammed in. You can never truly care about it. You're just thinking about, what the fuck is this? This didn't happen. Why is this happening? Everything happens like blink, blink, click, click. When the first half of the film, or, or the majority of the film, is spent on... Um, it's, it's you know it's a very slow way of, of treating the early half. You know when she's in looking first in that shadow of, of her his former lover. You know there's long periods of time that are just used to give a vibe. You know just her doing normal things throughout the day that are reflected by this this man's kind of insanity in in, in loss. Um, if you're gonna have that slow vibe, you maintain it till it builds up to a point. But to have this slow feeling where that you're you're focusing on minute details, only to post twist, um, fo- not care at all, and just you know every single minute you're getting some new big um, plot detail. It, it just doesn't work thematically. Having both of those, as I say about the pacing. If you wanted to have a fast and and breeze through both sections, it might have worked. If you wanted to go for just you know, if the if the story was different and it was only one, you know, pre-twist, you want to make it into, into two parts or whatever, if you could have had maintained that slow pace throughout the film. But the mix, it just made it seem like they were making a film and then right at the end of the writing process, they went, wait a second, oh yeah, something else happens. And they had to rewrite a whole big chunk of the film in. It just, and then a lot of the acting and, and character decisions that take place in the first half of the film are very much... Um, made redundant or, or made confusing by the true motivations revealed in the second half. Um, that's just, you know, I just well, I put that out there. My review uh, previously was just me going, oh, Arnie Hamm was a bit bad. I think that's that's a more true thought on, on how I felt the film itself was was flawed. But yeah, you know, it really was a massive letdown. And as I said, the worst film we've reviewed, I, I think we've reviewed. Oof, that's a, a damning review then. So, yeah. I mean, it's kind of put me off watching it now. I'd heard, I'd heard kind of meh things, but um... maybe, maybe some people. I, I, I searched up on. I looked through after the film. I thought, fucking hell, that was that was shite. I watched it today, um, <laughs> and and I looked through reviews. and I was like, well, vindication. Like, oh, other people thought it was shite. A lot of people had the same problems I did, and um, and then I searched the, the word Rebecca up on, on Twitter um, just to see what people thought. I searched the word Alan Hammer up as well. And it seemed to be that when talking about the film, the the Guardians film reviewer, the you know the sort of BuzzFeed's film reviewer, were negative tweets, and every single reply was also echoing the same thoughts of, of negativity. However, the average Dave in the street seemed to be putting out the people that that enjoy films that probably don't are not nerdy enough to the degree of having a letterbox account. Um, People were replying. It seemed to be tweeting out that they generally enjoyed it. I think um, maybe if you're an, if you're a bit more if you're a bit more easygoing and you want to you know a, a watch that you know 
maybe you know you like the actors or whatever it seems that like from a casual point of view i'm not trying to gatekeep in any way because films are enjoyed by different people in different ways um you know it seems like there were people that enjoyed it in the same degree that people enjoyed the old guard but it's interesting because from what you've said is that like sorry just interrupt you but just from what you've said it feels like even an average just casual viewer would probably have a similar thoughts because you said that the film was poorly paced and too slow in parts and too fast in others i feel like you know do people not get bored of films if they're even the casual viewers i I struggle to understand how someone could enjoy this film however evidence seems to point at the fact that people can yeah i don't understand but you know my opinion is not the be all and end all i'm just some random bloke on the internet however yeah i'm going to to end this off by giving the film a three out of ten a three out of ten the Three comes from the cinematography and the performance of Kirsten Scott Thomas. Um, if it wasn't for those, it might have been a one. Um, but I've given a one and a half out of five uh, on Letterboxd, and I think a three out of ten um, is about right because okay. it stylistically looked it looked fine. You know, it looked nice at points. The, the early scenes looked nice. Cinematography was good. So three out of ten. It's strange because I just you mentioned there about people's reviews and stuff and such. I've just literally gone to Letterboxd to have a look through people's ratings and reviews and stuff, and it is so. It's probably one of the most po like. It's not even polarizing. It's one of the most diverse films in terms of ratings. Usually, for film is like this. You know, Old Guard, for example, you get people giving it ones and one and a half, and then you get people giving it four, or whatever. This is like. Two and a half, three, two, two and a half, but half. But then it jumps up to like some people are giving it four, four and a half. Well, I mean, it's so. I think every apart from five star, I think on my uh, my following, there's every other rating other than a five star. I mean, uh, yeah, it's true to a degree. However, and maybe I'm slightly harsher than, than some people. If you go off the the ratings, like the average ratings, sixty six or sixty seven percent of people have given it between a two star and a three star. So I think most people yeah. see it as av- uh, average to below average. Maybe just I'm slightly a very harsher. Mid mediocre average. Yeah, I, I I thought it was a bit worse than that. Um, so yeah, but my recommendation is don't bother watching Rebecca unless you're particularly interested in anyone involved or you enjoy films uh, that are considered worse or you have to see if you agree with my opinion because I'm sure a lot of people would not and that moves us on to uh, a film which I'm going to be a lot more positive about the uh, <laughs> sequel to the 2006 comedy Borat uh, Borat subsequent movie film so I'll, I'll preface this um, by talking about my experiences with Borat uh, Borat is one of my favourite films full stop um I, I think Borat is, uh, you know, especially from a comedy standpoint, is up there with with, uh, with anything uh, that I've I've watched. Uh, I think it's uh, hilarious. I think it's 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 obviously the intelligence uh, or the, the the strength of it comes from the reactions. I think you know that maybe in a modern light you may perceive some of the actions as particularly like maybe offensive towards a section of, of the world or whatever. It's, it's quite, you know, I guess towards the Middle East or whatever. But the, the comedy doesn't come, with the exception of, of the, the the pre-recorded things like the, the naked fight in the, in the hotel room. The majority of the film comes from the insane reactions that come from Borat High, the, the person that said that, um, that they wanted to get gay people hung in America and um, the response of the people at the, the rally when he starts singing the national anthem. Um, but I, I'm... Uh, maybe a bigger fan of Borat than, than most. I remember um, 
I think for a lot of my normally on my birthday I watch it every every year because uh, because I like it a lot. I didn't last year though. Um, so I, when I saw Borat two was announced and originally I think it was rumored to be called Borat: The Gift of Pornographic Monkey to Vice Premier Michael Pence for recently <laughs> diminished nation of Kazakhstan, which does appear in the film, not yeah. pornographic but sexy. Yeah. Um, I wondered why they changed that actually. Because the, yeah. the, the, the leaked one was so close to it, and it wasn't even officially dubbed that way. Yeah, and it makes sense, because there is a pornographic monkey. Maybe um, it's just, uh, I don't know. Yeah, a mis- mis- misunderstanding the leak, or a nation thing, I don't know. But, um, yes, so when I heard the film was coming out, I had mixed reactions. Part of me was like, yes, I love Borat, and I said on the podcast, oh my god, the new Borat. But there was a, po- a voice in the back of the head that says, oh, how is it going to be as good? How is it going to be stand up to, to the likes of the original? And um, I think, um, in a lot of ways, both of my sides uh, of my of both of my trains of thought were justified uh, to a degree. Uh, shall I just shall I start? Shall I start? I'll start. Yeah, you can start since you. Well, yeah, yeah, you start. Yeah, so because I'm already I kind of started going to my tangent. Um, I think both of my um, trains of thought were kind of justified because. Uh, you know, it, it did. Uh, I, there was more Borat, and it was very funny. And I was much mm-hmm. like I was with Tespa, like, oh, more Borat's coming out. Yes, so much Borat. But then the, the thing, of, oh, it's not really the same, was true. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it wasn't as, as good as the original Borat. You know, I don't think that's like a shock to anyone. Um, but I felt like it wasn't. But the way they got around that was they didn't try and make Borat one again they tried yeah. to make they, they went for a very different vibe for this one and i think it benefited the film very strongly um if you haven't seen the first borat it's uh sasha baron cohen obviously ali g fame um actually i'd argue that probably i'm not sure about it britain in britain ali g is still pretty well known but i think probably worldwide he's probably better known as borat than ali g at this point um yeah but borat yeah, and bruno are probably more universally known i think ali g is probably more universally known than bruno though no, no, I mean universally though. Like really, I'd, I mean, I especially for younger viewers, like yeah, um, for younger people, I guess, like more like yeah. But, One thing I want yes. to ask actually is okay. so, this was directed by a different person. So the person who directed the original Bora and also the Dictator and Bruno is Laurie Charles. Mm. However, the director of Borat's subsequent movie film is Jason Voliner. And from what I can see, he's done a lot of... Well, he's done some TV comedy stuff, but hasn't done, like, many, like, feature films. So I was just wondering if you knew why the director changed. Yes, no, I had noticed that. And I was... I was... um, He just, like, done comedy specials and stuff. Um, I don't know the reason why. Uh, I, you know, I have no clue what what the decision is behind there. Um, Because... And... I don't know. I wonder. I, I, I haven't got an answer. I was thinking, well, this is just in retrospect after I'd watched it. I was thinking, is it to do with the fact that, I mean, it's just kind of, I mean, I don't know, we can just discuss, I guess, more than doing separate reviews. Maybe that'd be more interesting to do because sure. you're someone who, as you mentioned, is maybe a bit more enamored with, with Borat, the original one, than, than I was. I think we discussed this off podcast, I don't know, a couple months ago now, and we were talking about um, uh, Sasha Brown Cohen and, and the films he's done and stuff. And I've given so I've given currently on Letterboxd, Bora and Bruno, I think are both at three out of five. And um I won't 
tell you what my review, what my actual rating is right now. But what I will say is that my rating for Borat subsequent movie film. Do you have to keep calling it that? Can we call it Borat Two? Call it Borat Two. <laughs> Just what is it? Borat subsequent movie film. Um, yeah. No, Borat Two. I've actually given as a, a higher rating than the original. But I think that's probably just because I was a bit harsh on the original one. Because, and uh, what, what I want to say, actually, one thing is, um, so you mentioned before about not, you know, not judging, uh, not judging your opinions off other people's opinions and, and whatnot. But one thing I did read on Letterboxd um, was from one of the writers from Kung Fury, which is one of my favorite comedy. Uh, it's only a short film, um, but one of yeah. my favorite comedy films and kind of parody comedy, you know, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, one of the writers for that um, posted a letterboxed review, only one sentence long, and it says, It might not be as funny as the first one, or as hard-hitting as Who is America, but it is just as wonderfully cringeworthy, and gave it a 4 out of 5. And I think I kind of echo that, because uh, Who is America, yeah. which I watched um, when it came out, I thought was absolutely hilarious, but also very politically charged and very relevant when it came out and still relevant and very hard hitting. And I think maybe that is why the director changed, not not necessarily as a criticism of the original director, but because obviously this film takes a different direction, as you mentioned, uh, narratively and structurally it is different than the original. And I think that is why my review of my rating was so positive for Borat 2 was because this kind of takes some of those aspects of Who is America and combines them with the the humour and comedy and and characters obviously of Borat and uh, and has this kind of sort of hybrid thing and I think as a film Borat 2 is probably you would maybe you wouldn't agree but I would assume you would maybe agree with me on Borat Two as a film is probably a better film. Well, I think I think that's um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't agree because I think uh, it's that is the concept of rating narrative as the most important aspect of a film. I think. Okay, no, okay, okay uh, maybe better was the wrong word. I, I it, think, is, it is more of a film, though. You would yes, agree? Yes, sure. I, I think okay. I've described um, when when talking about uh, Borat Two. Um, is the, the first one is um, a series of sketches joined together by narrative, um, whereas this is a narrative involving a few sketches. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first film um, achieves its goal to a more to a fuller extent, which is why I would say that the first one is a better fi- uh, better film. Full stop. Yeah. I think it doesn't try. It has a story. Obviously, there's that, that the the. The, the dialogue between uh, Sash Brancarian's character and, and his mate, uh, uh, Borat and, and Borat's mate in the first film. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the film is, is kind of these, these goes into meet a different person and they're funny, meets a different person, it's funny. Mm-hmm. And and the, the, the narrative is, is there still is a narrative and it's a funny one, but it isn't as important, arguably, and that's not what people remember the film for, uh, to, to the to a, a full to the degree which Borat 2 is. Um, so, I think it achieves its goal. It ticks all the boxes, you know, what it wants to do. It wants to be funny here and wants to be funny here, and it does it. Borat's movie film, um, I, I think uh, maybe, as I said, isn't as funny as the original. It does, it, it obviously, is still trying to be funny, but it, it ticks the boxes when it comes to narrative. A, a problem I had with the comedy of the film was, you know, 
I'm, you know, I'm not yeah political or anything. I I happen to be of the same political standing of which obviously this film is trying to appeal to. Sacha Baron Cohen is obviously very left wing, or very anti-Trump, uh, and anti-Republican, uh, and that that film that comes across strongly throughout the film. And whilst everything he says, I kind of give a, a kind of mental uh, fist bump. You know, it's like, oh, you know, that, yeah, I agree. But then also it comes on thick at points. I think that that is an, almost an error with with the comedy part of it is that it, it is so blatant at points that I think it's kind of almost cringeworthy in the wrong way. I think um, there is a little, there's, there, there are uh, politically, political jokes that lack nuance throughout the film. Um and, and there are points where it, they really, really get it well done. There are points they really, really now put uh, put the nail on the head, um, hit the nail on the head. But there are other points, like you know, where it just seems like it's uh, he's just they're just he's just trying to get an easy dunk. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you somewhat. I think one thing I will say is it it. It depends. Okay, so obviously, if you don't like Borat one, you aren't gonna like Borat two. I think that's obvious. <laughs> but I think if it depends what you want from the, from the film. I guess if you want something with a bit more maybe meaning or um, a bit more of an impact, then Borat two is probably gonna be the one that you prefer. If you just want straight up comedy, then Borat one is is without a doubt uh, the standout as you as you said. Um, and in terms of the actual like Borat Two with as you mentioned certain parts maybe feel a bit too on the nose. I would probably agree. Yeah, that's um, the phrase I was searching for. On the yeah. proverbial nose, I could not I couldn't remember the phrase. Yeah. yeah, I think I don't know. I think maybe what I will say is Borat Two probably has a bit more of di- bit more diverse humour though. In that with Borat One, it's kind of like if you don't like one set one sketch segment, you're probably not gonna like the next one. Whereas with this film, it felt like even if, you know, as you mentioned, anti-Republican sentiment, you know, Trump supporters aren't going to like this film. But Mm -hmm. if even if, you know, there were parts in in Borat 2, I feel like you can appreciate some of the comedy and not other parts. Whereas with Borat 1, it was a bit more of a consistent through line where if you you like the film, uh, if you like certain jokes, you'll probably like the rest of them. With Borat 2, as you mentioned... There are certain parts where I feel like you might cringe at one joke and, and absolutely laugh out loud at another part. Um, maybe, I don't know, just ask as, as an example, what did, for example, the scene uh, in the um, the scene involving the, the baby where she eats the, the plastic <laughs> baby yeah. and and starts going on about how there's a baby inside her and, and, you know, she needs to take it out and so on. What did you think of that scene? You think that was funny or not? You like that scene? Well, yeah, I didn't have a problem with that. I thought it was hilarious. Okay, yeah. So exa- no, that's just an example though. I've just I've just I think of a scene yeah. which some people might think is just completely just not funny. Um or you know, the, the, the I think maybe I don't know if you would agree with me, but uh I would probably say that with Borat too, as I said, there's certain parts where you you might cringe at a joke and think, Okay, that is that is just not funny or too on the nose or too ridiculous and then the next scene you might think oh that's absolutely hilarious i'll tell you about the i talked about i'll go on to the narrative and the the, and kind of the more technical points of the film in a second but just talking about the the comedy and and going her this scene's good um i'll talk about the the positive of uh, cringe comedy so i have a very very um low cringe reflex you know it takes me i don't i cringe easily um, mm. 
which is which is funny because my favorite uh, you know when we did uh, uh there's island D- uh, dvds I, I picked the office which is obviously extremely cringy not the uh the american one of course the the british one uh and i, I love uh the inbetweeners and peep show I, lo- I love a lot of things that are cringe comedy however i'm also easily susceptible to it um is there any point in the film and not necessarily in a, in a, a way like the joke miss but is there any scene that was purposely cringeworthy that you really struggled watching wait me in born too yeah there's one standout for me. Though there's a few times I'm I was trying like, to think. Oh, there's like, one. There's one. I literally had my hands over my eyes. I, I was trying like, to cringe. Listening. I couldn't watch it. It was so painful to watch. I was just like, Ugh. I'm trying to think because, I mean, some people would say. I mean, obviously not all of us given our political viewpoints, but some people would say that. I mean, in a good parts sense. of the. Some people would say that parts of the film which aren't even meant to be cringe would be cringe. Like, oh, that's you're not, trying to talk. No, 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 but you know what I mean. This, no, what I'm trying to say is, there's like, I don't remember any part where I personally cringed. For example, there's parts where people might cringe, like, "Oh, this is so cringy!" Like the 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 they're trying to talk about women women power or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is yeah. parts where certain people of certain ideologies would say that's cringe. It, it you know, it's so on the it's so um, they're just forcing feminism or whatever do you know what I mean so yeah no I mean from a positive I sense I can't think wait a positive cringe you mean yeah exactly like oh like it was not cringing and like oh like the the, the joke missed but in cringing like I can't watch this this is so painful to watch I can't f- oh, oh okay are you talking about the interview bit I'm talking about the dance when they do the fertility dance. Oh yes, I forgot about that. I could not watch it. I was I was pissing myself behind. Um, See for hands me, over it was. My eyes. I couldn't. Watch. I was just pissed. I was hilarious, but it was like so hard to watch. See for me, that scene was kind of just like, why? I just kind of felt like it, it's just the, the, it's just, it's the just funniest... like the reactions of the of the the real life. Yeah, people. yeah, but that's what I mean. But it's like the funniest. Plus, what I mean with the with the political thing is that he takes those who is America political and social ideals that it's trying to present, and then it also has this Borat just random comedy f- just for comedy's sake. Like there was, I don't I know, think it that's, that, maybe I think maybe the film that's the very part that didn't work it. for me. I think the film. I don't think. I think that this film would have been uh, too it was star funny, if it didn't but... have that kind of thing. I think it needed that, what made the Borat one good. And I, I yeah. think another another example of it is when she runs up in the, the feminist meeting and talks about uh, rubbing her clit. And I yeah. was absolutely pissed myself, but it was so hard to watch. It was like... See, for me, the, the scene you mentioned earlier about the fertility dance, the thing yeah. that I most liked and most resonated with me about that scene was the fact that in 2020, there's still these high social, high society gatherings where old men are introducing their young daughters to like these young men, and like yeah. it just felt like something from like nine, like the 18th century or something. It was like ridiculous. I'm like, how is this still happening? And then apparently, you know, in real life, they um they the people that attended had to like fill out this long, or people that were going to attend had to fill out some long questionnaire. Um, of loads of pop culture things and like hidden midway through was like do you know who Sasha Baron Cohen is and they only invited the people that said no to the ball uh, so that okay. no one so that well no I was wondering them. actually because there were certain parts as well I mean obviously it's not supposed to be taken seriously but um, 
there are certain well i mean maybe it is given the nature of some of the fits but you know what i mean in terms of like there's certain segments where it's clearly just meant for laughs mm-hmm. but th- there were certain parts where i was thinking how much of this is scripted how much of this is improvised how much of this is organized how much of it is like complete spontaneous because are you okay you mentioned that scene about uh about that scene where they've gotten people specifically who don't know who he is mm-hmm. but for example there's one there's obviously that scene where they're like oh it, it's for and they're chasing down the street and stuff and yeah, I think that's real yeah, yeah that that was that felt that felt real but then there was another bit um it was the bit involving the the um there's a the woman who takes like who like looks after the daughter for a, for, yeah. like, a day or whatever yeah. yeah when he returns and i was just thinking how have, how have they explained to this woman like what have they said to her for them to have cameras there and like be filming and the whole I mean, time, I always thought, like, because the, the people look at the camera and stuff, I think what they probably did was saying, oh, we're making a documentary about someone coming to America for the first time, or something like that. Yeah, that's because I, I know that's what they did for Borat, but I feel like, I mean, obviously, she probably didn't know who he was, given that he was Borat and stuff. But then there was also, the one thing that did kind of confuse me about the film, not well, not confuse me, but I kind of thought, hang on a minute, what? Because there was... um. They, they talked about how he had to have disguise. And, you know, when we first talked about the film on the podcast, we were saying, you know, the the the, the rumours are saying that it's going to be Borat disguising himself so he can yeah. still be play Borat, but not being recognised. My question was, they, they made a big effort at the beginning of the film to establish that he had to have a disguise, but then halfway through the film, he just wanders around America with no, no disguise on. Yeah, yeah and, I, I, I think he should have spent more time in disguise, personally. Yeah, I just didn't understand, you know, what are they what are they trying to go for? Because it kind of felt like they were, like, I don't know I how did, it, how do they explain that? Because the answer is the the real world the real world explanation is um, they he only plays he's only dressed as Borat when he's in situations where there's only a few people around. So like when he's with those um, like rednecks and he's like in their thing, if yeah. they don't know who Borat is, which I'm sure they, the producers have made sure they, they don't know who Borat is, then okay, yeah, then then it's only him, so he can get away with it because he's in like in the film explanation is like he's like natural with his buds, you know, whatever. Yeah. But then when he went into the uh, the the anti-COVID rally, then he was dressed up because. There's the likelihood that none yeah, of them know yeah, Borat is tiny. It was just like um, the whole, you know, the fax yeah, bit as well, yeah. where he has the fax machine. Uh, my guess is that there's a lot of those times where there's those scenes, like the guy with the, on the phone and that guy. I think. Um, by the way, this film is available on Prime Video. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, I've got to mention yeah. it. Um, uh, I think a lot of the time, it's he probably they probably went through quite a few people who worked in the same job before yeah. finding one that didn't know Borat was. It was also the one thing as well that was like. Surely this is can't be coincidence, like not coincidence, but surely this is taken of some kind of extensive planning. Was the fact that the um, the plastic surgery that they go to in the film was directly opposite the feminist conference? Was just I was just like, hang on a minute, how on earth have they managed to get that? Like have that? Like that's a, surely a complete coincidence. But I imagine. Also, um, I imagine the feminist meeting probably moves around and they probably, the producers probably sorted out so it was in that building that day. Yeah, maybe. Or, yeah. I also wondered how much of the narrative was just, okay, 
we're making Borat 2, and we know that the comedy is going to resonate with people who watch it anyway. So, okay, um, let's just have this narrative element. Just just have it... Okay, so let's just have this narrative element in here because we're in this place and this is happening. Obviously, some of the things were planned, like they knew that this rally was going to be on or they knew this thing was going to be on. But, but they didn't um, know the rally was going on because you got to think, it must have thrown a massive spanner in the works that mid-filming, COVID happened. So none yeah, of yeah, what yeah, yeah. could the original plan couldn't have happened at all. No, no, no. But what I mean is, is that like, how much of it was, like, how much of that, like, example, was the plastic surgery always going to be in the film, or like, was, um, mm. you know, how much? Because they, cause they know, you know, certain things are going to happen on certain days, and they can organize things and, and facilitate certain things happening. But like, there must come a point where they go. Okay, this will be funny if Borat did this. Let's just let's just make him do this. I I do wonder how much of it was planned and how much. I imagine of it, was it was kind of written as it. I don't know, but I imagine they probably had a lot of different scenarios and they fit them together as it seemed fit yeah. and kind of slightly yeah. improved it. Um, also, I cannot believe that that, that anti-COVID rally where I saw a Twitter video months ago of him singing that stupid Wuhan flu. You know, I don't agree with that sentiment at all. I, I hate calling it that, but that entire section, I saw that on Twitter when that it first so happened. Good. That was good. That might have been the highlight of the film. Chop see, I saw a video, Southeast though. Thing. I saw a video of some guy who was, like, part of the organisers of the rally or something, and they were interviewing him, and they were like, oh, Sashbound Cohen's just come up, come up, and uh, he's gone on stage with security, and they wouldn't let us on stage to get him off, and... Like, I saw that and I thought, okay, it's just Sacha Baron Cohen being Sacha Baron Cohen, like, as a joke. Yeah, yeah. The fact that it was related to Borat 2, I was, like, completely... I was kind of sad that I saw, because Amazon Prime put a tweet out with a clip of that section. I wish I hadn't seen that before going to the film. I wish I'd just gone in and just not known that was going to happen, because I was so that was such a, like, funny moment just having that, especially because I'd seen it before. I think as well, though... I was kind of disappointed that scene. I mean, you said it was funny, but I don't know if you've... Have you seen the original video that someone posted of it? No. Because there was a lot of things, like, a lot more happened. Like, not anything more extravagant or, you know, sensational or whatever, but just a lot of things happened in that section that they didn't show on the the film. And -hmm. the way that they shot the film, obviously, was more about the narrative of the two guys who wrote the song or whatever. Um... Or like wrote part of like they wrote the main part of the song, and yeah. I kind of wish because I also um I was kind of worried watching it that a lot of critics um would be saying, you know, there's been criticism from um I forgot his name now the guy, you know you know what I mean. Um yeah, so actually, uh, actually wait oh fuck, what can we bleep that? Can we bleep that? Yeah. That word that the people the, the name you said in post can you believe that? Yeah, so yeah. I just want to point about this. Out. Um, the, the the main scene of the film, the one of the most important scenes of the film, comes right at the end, um, and and features a certain person that we're going to believe. Um, and I ha- and the biggest issue is that because uh, if you haven't seen the film, the fact that people are talking about him implies that the plot is going to go a different way to the way it seems. And it's such a shame that that's the biggest film because it is a massive spoiler and does change it. Because I knew what happened happened. So I knew half of the film, from a narrative point of view, oh, does the narrative matter? It's Borat too. But as the narrative happens, I was like, wait, I know that this is going to be different because 
that happens and, and everyone's talking about this. Mm-hmm. So I'm a wish that they, that the, it was a shame that the biggest, most sensational part of it is also a massive spoiler. So well, that's, what I, that's what I was saying to you about um, beforehand is that I, I saw a critic on Twitter saying, why have people leaked or people commented on this beforehand, before the film was released officially, because they were explicitly told not to mention that part of the film. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, until it had been released and I kind of and same I'd seen very vague uh, comments about that section and I wish I hadn't because it did as you say spoil uh, you know that part of the film also what I will say though is is that film ha- that part of the film has uh, been very um, heavily talked about obviously and mm-hmm. a lot anyone of anyone seen the film knows what we're talking about it's the big thing at the end yeah and a lot of people who are against the sort of viewpoints that Sacha Baron Cohen is trying to present through the film uh, have said, you know, this is taken out of context or this is manipulated or this is uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I forgot what I was saying. I was going to say that related to something else in the film. Um, oh, yeah, the the, the co- anti-COVID rally because... Um, that part, to me, having seen the actual original source, like the full thing that happened, I kind of personally felt let down, or almost let down, because I wanted them to show how it built up, and I think a lot of a lot of people who don't agree with what's, you know, who agree with the anti-COVID people, whatever, will say, "Oh, this is taken out of context. This is manipulated. This is um." You know, Sacha Cohen was encouraging people to do this, and uh, you know, if he if he didn't, then blah 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 blah. And personally, obviously, I don't agree with that, but I feel like um, that kind of resonates with the part that we're we're not going to talk about the spoiler part, because uh, yeah, that will definitely uh, people have said, oh, that's taken out of context, that's manipulated. Uh, Sacha Cohen is presenting this in a, in a way which which wasn't uh, intended or which wasn't genuine. Um, so yeah. I, I kind of wish they'd shown a bit more of the the context and, and what happened beforehand and, and the build-up to, to some of the stuff that was said and done. I, I think with the big controversy about what's shown towards the end, I think the answer is it doesn't actually matter. Like I think from, from the film's point of view, it, it doesn't matter what happened in real life because it's try, it's, a, it's so clearly comedy and they obviously yeah. I feel like it's so clearly edited in that way. In reality, what actually happened doesn't actually make a difference on the film. Um, I'm all going to point out before, because we can't need to come to the end because we're an hour and a half in. But I, um, I just want to say that, I don't know if you agree, but I would not be saying this before I watched the film, but I think that this film genuinely might have, depending on how weak the carrier is, might actually have an Oscar nomination. For do you know what I'm gonna say? No. Best supporting actress. Because I was genuinely blindsided I was gonna... oh, by yeah, okay, how babe. good Maria uh, Bakalova is as um, this was my um... daughter. Well, I was gonna say that actually, but I didn't yeah. think you were gonna say it, and I also didn't think um, when you said it, I was thinking more of Golden Globes because they have a best comedy musical section, yeah, yeah, don't they? Sure, sure. That, yeah, so I was thinking, you, I think you were going to say that. I was like, hang on, the Oscars don't have that. So what are you going to say? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would agree definitely, and I would be very surprised, if not disappointed, if uh, she isn't picked up in in more films going for going forwards because I thought she was very very good. 
Yes, yeah, definitely. I think she was uh, she was a standout. Obviously, obviously, Sasha Baron Cohen is the big big name. He's the the person that you know wrote it and and is the main character. But she um, she very much steals steals the show in a lot of the scenes, and um, she uh, very much uh, melds um, kind of goes very well with with uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. I think it's a, it's a great yeah. chemistry, and uh, uh, and she was it's amazing, and it just shows. It's amazing how much makeup and shit can do, judging how she gets <laughs> yeah. to the start of the film because they're halfway in. So uh, how uh, how on earth did they manage to get Tom Hanks as well? <laughs> yes, Tom Hanks was a cameo. I was like, what? what? How is that? Is that like? Does he know? Is he in it? Like, surely, surely. Yeah, yeah. But he's an old, um, he's a, yeah. also, I don't want to say spoilers because I mean, even though it's a comedy film and you know people don't really care too much about spoilers and we've intentionally as i said before as you said yeah, before, it's prime video as well so most people probably have seen it yeah not talked about uh that specific section but uh did you, that twist that final twist the actually one of the most unsuspecting twists in any film i've ever seen i couldn't <laughs> I believe it i suspected it i suspected it there were certain things happening throughout the film i was like hang on a minute he's just like i'm not gonna say anything i'm not gonna even say what he does <laughs> that made me think it was gonna happen but he, the stuff he does throughout the film, and I was like, they are gonna go. Like, I didn't predict the twist, but when the when the twist started to be sort of unravelled, I was like, I was because there were certain bits where he was doing stuff that was very normal and typical and stuff people do, you know, every thirty minutes, yeah. and I was like, that just seems too obviously pointed on camera. Like they've shown it for a reason, and like, why have they shown that? And then I, yeah, and then when it came to the end, I was like, okay, yeah, that's why they've done it. Yeah, um, completely coming off that. But yeah, so, some, uh, some, some yeah. good, some good fun. Um, very obviously relevant given, given COVID and. Uh, I would say, I would say that it does not have the comedic strength of the original Borat. It does not um, go straight for the jugular politically in the same way that Who Is America does. However, it presents a strong narrative. It's a very worthy sequel of, of a love character that's going to be very hard to uh, live up to, and uh, creates a. Um, and I, I said it. You know, this is uh, my box review is, is is as follows. Um, if there's one film that is going to uh, sum up the, um, this find my exact reason. I don't bastardize my own words. <laughs> How do I? Um, if any film is synonymous with the coronavirus in the future, please let it be this. Yeah. One thing I will say, just closing out, is petition, petition time. Let's get it going. Uh, Sash Brown Cohen, please, please do something with Tyker. Please. <laughs> they have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm also happy that he didn't go. Um, I'm I'm happy that the modern uh, environment uh, did not um, stop him from making offensive comedy like at the beginning of the film there are points where i was like i always felt impressed like he didn't feel so scared of of modern backlash that he wasn't prepared to make some yeah. more outlandish comments and a lot of the, the jew jokes and stuff which yeah. some people may think but you know i'm quite into to, i'm quite a fan well, he, of dark yeah he's jewish though isn't he so i kind of, of course but i feel like people still and a lot of the things and the way he treats kazakhstan obviously i know that mm-hmm. a lot of people in kazakhstan were very against the first film i feel happy that he didn't feel restricted by modern sensibilities to, to not yeah. uh, go for the joke in the same way that he did um and we haven't got a quiz today so uh we are going to end it there so I'm going to give my review of Borat as an 8 out of 10 I would agree probably uh, 7.5 to 8 uh, yes yeah, so it's closer to a 7.5 than an 8.5 yeah I think I need to 
maybe rewatch the first one because I think my opinion might change and might go upwards actually. Uh, can oh, really? we watch this? Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I didn't rewatch it. A lot of people did rewatch it when the when the second one came out. I do need to go around to rewatching it because I do very much. Think, I think I'm going to go watch the Social Network in a minute. Oh, have you seen it before or not? Never seen it before. Oh, um, you're like in for a treat. Yeah. yeah, Quentin Tarantino's favorite film. Really? Yeah, I think well, so. Tar- is that, I think it's. I think it's his. It might have been his favorite film of the twentieth, twenty first century, actually. Oh, okay, yeah. I've seen, I've seen him talk about like Criterion and like you know his favorite ten of all time and stuff. He always talks about like I can't remember which ones they are, but there's like certain films he always mentions and references. Um. Also, just a quick thing before we go, did you mm-hmm. did you ever see that Michael the Mike Pence clip? No, I did not before the film because apparently a lot of people had seen it before. No, like on social media and the, on the news and stuff. I guess Americans obviously will have seen it. Is... And then, uh, and then, yeah, and that happened. I was like, okay, that's because uh, a lot of people on Twitter were like, oh my god, it, it was actually Borat all along. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Michael Penis. Okay, yeah, but yeah. Um, so great success. Great success. So that was Borat too. That was Rebecca, and that was Pixie. Um, two more. One very positive review. One pretty positive review, and one negative review. Uh, so. You can find me on Twitter now. I'm on back on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at at Sam H Media. You can follow the podcast at, at Now Showing Film. You can follow Jordan at at Jordan by Jordan, Jordan Luke at by Jordan Luke. Uh, and you can follow me on Letterboxd at uh, at Sam Houston. You can get JL at uh, JL McDonald. You can. F- uh, you can get, uh, get in contact with the podcast directly uh, on uh, via email at uh, nowshowingpod at gmail.com. And it would very much, we'd very much appreciate if you could give the podcast a five-star rating on Apple uh, Podcasts. That's the, uh, the the way that we get noticed. That's the way we get up the rankings. So we'd very much appreciate that. And um, if you like, I may possibly look out for the Gatekeepers MMA podcast to maybe make a return and talk about Khabib Nurmagomedov's uh, sudden and shock retirement from the game. You'd have to talk about Hurricane. You have to talk about Hurricane on MMA podcast. Yes, the Gatekeepers MMA podcast is just a way of advertising this podcast. That's what it is. Okay. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you, guys. For a Halloween special. Yeah, see you next time for Halloween. Ooh.